Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day all SF listeners, we are here and it is springtime, spring has sprung. I know that is a cliche term and a lot of people will be using that uh, at the minute, but it well and truly did spring into action. We had the coldest cold snap uh, two weeks before winter ended and it was freezing, we had snow on the hills, it was only a week before winter ended and we had snow for the lowest we had seen it this year and two weeks later, well not even, a week and a half after, we are well and truly into spring. I can't believe how quickly it changed and it is well and truly upon us now. Now, this episode is with an absolute golden perch legend, Josh Kopp. I was lucky enough to sit down and interview him a couple of weeks back. Now, I do want to apologize. This episode was meant to come out on Tuesday, so earlier this week. It is a couple of days late, but seeing as it is now the weekend, I thought it's not a better time now to get it out nice and early in spring so you guys can listen, hear, and learn from everything Josh has to say about spring. Spring Golden Perch. This is an absolute cracker of an episode. Josh is such an easygoing bloke. It's a really, really good episode to listen to, and it is packed with inspirational stories, but also plenty of tips, the stuff we want, the juicy stuff that helps us get out there and catch fish. All you guys want to learn, you want to grow, you want to do it yourself, and that's the whole purpose of this podcast, and Josh shares plenty of tips. And we base this talk around his area, which is central New South Wales, so the two key areas is Windermere and Burrendong. So we're talking about empowerment fishing and that's what we dive into in depth. So most of the references that Josh makes is in reference to Windermere and Burrendong. They're both two, probably the two premier fisheries for golden perch in the country. They are fishing well right now. Well, Windermere is fishing really well right now and Burrendong has just filled up really, really quickly. Uh, I think when we recorded this, it was at 30% and now... It's up above 40% as I'm recording and launching this episode for you guys. Now, what do we cover in this episode? A little bit of a summary of what goes on. So first of all, I asked Josh how fishing started for him, why it's his passion. It's a great start to the episode. Then we talk about golden perch in that central New South Wales area. And then there's one, probably the best part of the episode, uh, Josh shares his tips for chasing golden perch during a rising lake level. So he, he covers a, an experience and explains an experience he had about fishing during a rising lake and it is incredible to hear and I just learned so much just myself sitting down and, and interviewing these people and I'm sure you guys learn a heap as well. Then we talk about spawning behavior with goldens and how that affects how they fish uh, and then the nuts and bolts of this episode, Josh starts with talking about his the way he approaches a new season and in reference to those two lakes. And obviously, you can apply it to other lakes as well. So, it's basically all about starter season, techniques, what we do at the very start, how we approach it, how we fish, and he runs through how he does it. And it's, it's incredible. Now, Josh is a tournament angler, fishes in the AYC comps, does a lot of golden perch fishing and Murray Cod and really knows his stuff. So, it's a cracker of an episode. And towards the end, Josh talks about his go-to outfit, setup, and lures for golden perch. And then we finish up on a few memorable stories on Yellers and Cod, some of his most memorable catches to date. So I'm super excited. I'm super pumped for this episode. 
I can't believe we are in spring. Uh, all these episodes over the last few months have just been all cold, 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 cod stuff. Uh, cod season is now closed. Bass season is now open and the Victorian trout streams are now open. I feel really sorry uh, towards everyone who is in Victoria who's stuck, can't travel and fish a lot of waterways, especially those in Melbourne. If you are lucky enough to fish a waterway local to you, uh, hopefully you are getting onto some good fish. But now we are looking to the warmer months months and the next month and two so September October it's going to be awesome fun before it gets too hot so if you uh, only enjoy fishing in good conditions nice warm conditions and when the fish really bite your next four to six weeks is prime I'm looking out my window right now and it is beautiful sunny warm day it's a great change from what we have seen and I hope everyone who is a listener of the podcast and chased cod this winter managed to get onto some good fish I feel like the winter session the winter season for Murray Cobb went very very, very quick, and I'm sure the spring golden perch stuff will go quick as well. So without further ado, guys, that is enough from me. So let's jump into this episode and talk to the one, the only, Josh Cop. So it's coming up to spring, guys. We've got golden perch on the mind, and I have an incredible angler with me, Josh Cop, mate. Thanks for joining me, mate. We're going to talk about spring yellows. It's getting exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I can't wait, man. It's just around the corner now. So, really keen. Yeah, yeah. Now, thanks for joining me. Um, I know you listen to the podcast and it's really good to have you on. So, welcome to the episode. I'm sure we're going to talk about some really awesome stuff. Before we do jump in, many people might not know who you are. Can you just give us a background? I like, and you probably already knew this question was coming. I like to get a background on how fishing started for you, why you fell into this passion because you obviously enjoy it so much. So, can you tell us a bit of a backstory? All right. So... Um, fishing started for me, I guess, we didn't fish much as a family when I was growing up, so I kind of just took it on myself and just started watching fishing on TV and just become obsessed with it, as most of us all are. Um, yeah. Really didn't catch any fish until I was about 17 years old. Um, a mate of mine invited me up to the dam, uh, being Burundong, for the Christmas break. So I jumped on that and he had a little tinny and we took it out and we ended up catching uh, some yellows and silver perch and that sort of thing. So... Ever since then, that was back in 2007, so since then it's just been a sheer obsession, but I think that was the first fish that I caught, but before then, I remember being obsessed with just watching fishing and just, look, every bit of water I saw, just wondering what was in it, um, Yeah. since I was quite little, so yeah. It's funny, it's eh? a big part of life. That water thing's funny, when you go for a drive, you always kind of just go for a look, or you're like, oh, I wonder what's in that creek, it's like, it's like an addiction to look over a bridge when you drive over a bridge, eh? <laughs> most other people don't even know they've driven over a creek or a river whereas anyone who fishes knows remember ben uh when i was little like just every bit of water you went up to you had to just look into it just to see if you could see if there was a fish in there or wondering what sort of fish might be in there yeah 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 that's right and i bet you still do it now yeah i'm 30 and it's still going so yeah Yeah. exactly so so that's kind of different to a lot of other people who really sort of found it earlier is it because you just never had the opportunity to fish or you just didn't realize that you liked it until you very first went it's kind of weird to say that i loved it but i hadn't caught a fish if that makes sense yeah right because of the fishing shows and that yeah the fishing shows and even i hadn't caught any fish every time we go down like down the street with my parents um 
going to Kmart or somewhere like that, you'd always yes. like make sure you went to the fishing section and just had a look Kmart. at all the lures. And <laughs> yeah, How Kmart good was it? good. It's it was, good. wasn't it? Yeah, I remember that. I did the exact same thing. You'd take off, like I'd take off to the fishing section and when you were leaving, parents would come and find you in the fishing section. <laughs> yep, that's crazy. <laughs> Rings back memories. What shows did you watch back then? Oh, I remember Fishing Australia was on. I remember a Saturday Arvo, so you could watch ET and Fishing Australia, and they're almost back to back, I believe, at like five o'clock or something. Yeah. Yeah. So watching those two and Rexy, Rex Hunt, yeah, the OG. Rexy. Did you ever record them on VCRs and watch them again and again? You didn't. I didn't but I That's got fish I flicks, and I went back and watched all the old um, Rex hunts not that long ago, only like twelve months ago, and yeah. It's just, Still good, still Bring awesome. Bring back memories, I bet. Yeah, it's good, but yeah. Um, and then, yeah, keep going. Um, so, yeah, it's, so it's a bit of a weird intro into the fishing, uh, but since then, yeah, it's just been yeah, massive, massive part of my life, so it's really good. Yeah, so that? tell me about now, how does fishing look for you? Is it something you do every weekend? Is it something that you do? Do you, do you head out there, right? Let's just talk about this is just a random thing I thought of. Whether it's cod, goldens, whatever you're fishing for, is fishing for you something you just go to get out and enjoy or do you really love the task of trying to figure out the fish to catch more fish or to catch bigger fish or to test your skills on a new style of lure? Because like some people will go out and they just want to catch as many as they can or the biggest and then others go out for the challenge of trying to catch something on a new sort of style, new lure, new waterway. How does, how does it look for you these days? It's, it's a, bit of a, a bit of both for me. So I use fishing as a real good outlet. So I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and a lot of people have said the same thing. They use fishing as a bit of an outlet. It's time to get away. Um, get their mind off other things and that, that sort of stuff. So um, I guess when you're out on the water, there's only a real small percentage of when we're actually of our whole fishing um, life. Like yeah. we spend a lot more time at home getting lures ready, thinking about fishing, social media, that sort of thing. And I think that's the part that you're most addicted to. It's not, not so much catching the fish. It's just all the other aspects that go with it, whether that be yeah. the travel or it's also a good – like. It's the time with your mates that you spend yep. out on the water. So I guess that's that's a real addiction, but there's kind of two avenues. So if when I'm going social fishing or cod fishing, um, you always have your own little goals where you want to catch. You might want to break your PB or you want to get out and fish a new waterway and just set yourself a task of catching a fish in that waterway. So I do that um, sort of in my own mind. Yep. But then I've got the other side where I fish a lot of tournaments um, and that's, I guess different where you're setting yourself goals to do well in the tournaments and it's just a completely different mindset I guess that's more you still have a fun but I guess it's more a competitive sort of pressure situation whereas if you yeah. go and fishing just I'll go fly fishing down at the creek um, by myself or um, just out in the boat with mates chasing cod and that sort of thing it's just two totally different ways but it all ties into that um, like obsession of just just the getting ready getting ready is really like what i'm quite addicted to just getting like yeah. lures and planning and that sort of stuff so it's a good way to look at it too like and we all know it we all do it but it's a good it's good to look at it like that and then you were just saying you would say every time you fish a tournament you fish totally different to how you just fish on a weekend you wouldn't fish like you do in a tournament just on the weekend would you it's to like you said it's totally different styles 
yeah, totally different style. So if you're fishing a tournament, I guess you use your pre-fish to sort of plan your day. Um, I'm going to fish this area in the morning. I'm going to do, do this and try and work out a, a bite um, when you're sort of in the practice day the day before and you sort of yep. got yourself a bit of a plan on how your weekend's going to go or hopefully going to go before you even do it. Yep. Whereas when you're just going out fishing, obviously you do, you're thinking of things that might get you the fish, but you're sort of just going with the flow a bit more, or I do anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with the tournament stuff, question, do you, with your pre-fish, do you go out in areas that you'd had, you've had success, um, I obviously don't want you to tell me everything because it's tournament stuff, but I'm sure you're happy to share a little bit. Do you go out and fish areas that you've had success over the last few weeks to see if the fish are there so then you know where to go the next day? Or do you use it as a day to actually just research and travel and look for fish and figure out where you're going to actually fish rather than actually trying to catch fish? So if it's a tournament at, around home and in a lake that I like, always fish, say if it's a tournament at Windermere, then I yep. will go out and just try and verify what's been happening because I've been there the weeks leading up to it. Yeah. Um, try not to fish those spots too much, try and sting your fish. But I guess a lot of the other tournaments like Burrenjark, um, Glenbourne and that sort of thing, I don't fish those lakes very often. So um, that is you're yeah, really trying to put your head um, to it and just try and work out what the bite's doing because you're not... You don't have the background knowledge as much yeah. like you you're drawing back from past tournaments and that sort of thing but i guess you kind of look at it a bit a bit differently like that yeah right so you're still going out and throwing lures trying to figure out how the fish are reacting because yeah, that's definitely. ultimately yeah that's ultimately what you need to do yeah 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 no that's interesting so going back to fishing how it started for you how you fish now what we want to talk about in this episode is yellows you're based in central new south aren't you so your home lakes what are, what are the main lakes that you target yellows in yes i'm from orange so i'm quite lucky it's just a bit of a hub um to a lot of different lakes so uh burundong spent a lot of time there not so much in the recent past because of the dam levels but um years before and windermere would be the two main uh golden dams that i target Yep, right. So, Baron, talk to me about Baranong for a second. It got down to 1.6, 1.9%, something like that. One point, over, yeah, it was about 1.7 over summer. Um, yeah. We had a job through work to put an aerator in there, and we were trying to find a deep spot, and I think 12.5 metres was the deepest we could find to put it in there. You're kidding. So, what did it look like? Did it, how big, was there still a fairly decent size of a bit of water or not really? Like, it's still a lot of water. It's a massive basin. Um, it's quite a. It's not a real big deep basin like Burrenjuk or Blaring or something, or those sort of lakes. So it's quite a big sort of open flat um, basin. So at, at a look, you know it's low because you've seen it high, but um, there's still a lot of water in it. It's still quite a big stretch of water. It's just not not as deep as the other lakes. Yeah, right. So where the where the sort of the caravan park is there and the dam walls just there, like there was still a bit of water just out the front to look at. But at 1%, wasn't there? There's still a little bit, but obviously that's not much for when you think about the amount of fish in that lake all crammed into one spot. So if you were out there putting an aerator in, could you? See, did you have a sounder? Could you see the fish? We did, but it was only a work boat, so it was quite a right. old, yeah, basically just a depth sounder. But um, there was arc showing up on there, but um, I did fish it at 9%, 8%, 8, 8 or 9%, and just the amount of yellows and carp all, and a few cod just stacked up like on top of each other is pretty incredible yeah it would be and what's it at now it's gone up to 30 odd percent which is like drastically different like water is like halfway up the arms and that now isn't it 
yeah, 32% it is now, so that's very scalable up the, up the arms and you can get a fair stretch all the way up there. So 30% really, it's a lot of water in that dam. Jeez, it turned around, didn't it? Like yeah. from what it was for such a long time. Even Wyangala, like a few weeks ago, we were fishing the AYC um, cod, uh, cod comp there and it was, I think it was 17%. 17, and yeah, I was there the weekend after. Yeah, and now it's yeah. 33 and rising and still going up. Yeah, so uh, did you have a heap of rainfall up that way um, recently, or was it, it did, this weekend? It was, uh, just the weekend, just gone. They had a lot of rain around. Um, it was a heap around Nara, so everything was flooding around Nara, and I think just that side of the of the coast, like Goulburn sort of area, I think they copped it pretty good. Yeah, right. Okay, and then that's just filling it up, which is good because we need a bit of water in those storages. So, what is your? Have you had much um, experience on fishing lakes when they're rising at all? We actually had a tournament at Burundi. It was one of the most memorable um, tournaments I've ever fished. So I hadn't been into tournaments that long, only a couple of years. Um, but I, one of my good mates, he's been around tournaments for a long time, Andrew Pulbrook, and. All the all those guys were talking about if this thing rises like it's meant to, this they're going to bite. They're going to really bite in the backs of bays. Yeah. Uh, we pre-fished the dam and it was seventy percent on the Friday, and there was a heap of rain forecast, and it just poured rain all day, all night. They end up calling the first session on the Saturday off because it was so wet and wild and and rough that it was too yep. unsafe to go. So everyone went out on the Saturday. Arvo, I think it was at 100% then, so it rose 30% overnight, like incredible. There was literally a current going through the basin. Wow. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> all the spots we pre-fished, all the trees, obviously way underwater, being gone up 30%. Yeah. So we went up the back. Um, we went up the Kajigong arm um, into this bay, and the, you could see the water flowing into the bay, and we didn't have quite the bite that, that other people had but we're casting plastics um and jackal uh tan 60s up into the up into the water running in yeah and yeah it was just a basically a fisher cast for a while like it was just incredible yeah. the yellows were shoulder to shoulder pushing their way up into the bay um just trying to eat whatever was coming down or just trying to fake spawn with that severe rise in the dam so Whoa, yeah yeah what yeah. kind of what kind of uh what time of year was it that was march yeah, it was March. Right, so it's not even the right season for them to sort of spawn as it is. So they've just got an instinct. I know yellows do. They just have an instinct to follow current. And you're saying they were all stacked in those areas, which means if you picked the wrong area, you there would have been dead zones because the fish just wouldn't have been there, yeah? They would yeah, they all definitely. moved into these specific areas. And they were, what, backs of bays where water was flowing in gullies and like little creeks and that that don't yeah. normally flow? Exactly. So as soon all that water just sets like that massive influx of rain pushing into those bays, um, all the yellows are just pushing up, shoulder, literally shoulder to shoulder, fin top fins out of the water, like incredible scenes. It's actually that's actually banned in tournaments now. You're not allowed to fish within I think it's fifty or hundred meters of inflowing water because of that. Really? That yeah, that reason. Yeah. Um, right. So is that a, so? So you can't fish. Up, even if the lake's not rising, you can't fish within, what, 50 to 100 metres of the river flowing in? Uh, so, in the back of a bay, if there was if there was water running into that bay um, from a big rain, they usually call it like a, a, the briefing. Um, but if there's water running in that's that's run into that bay, um, yeah, 50, I think it's 50 or 100 metres exclusion for that. Wow. That's interesting, eh? Isn't that? That's Yeah, I would never have thought about that. I thought that would just be clever angling finding those spots but there you go it's funny yeah. on that on that spawn when we 
touched on spawning before. Um, yellows traditionally, or well, they're meant to spawn in spring, so yeah. they do spawn and you get the male in the boat and, yeah, you obviously know when they're trying to spawn because they make it quite a mess. Yeah. But every year, you seem to have that again around Easter time in Burundong and Windermere. I've had that, like, so many times that it's like, yeah, they, okay. do it. it's like they do it twice. I'm not, not really sure why, but, yeah, I've had that around that Easter time. It's almost identical. Yeah, okay, I'll have to, um, I'll, yeah, that's interesting now, I'll have to do a bit more digging into that and see if it's something they do in other lakes as well. I can't say I've experienced it in Blaring, uh, but Burundong and Windy would be perfect examples for it, for sure. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And then, how do they behave, do you find that the fish, this, we're going to so much talk about with spring yellows, we kind of moved into it already, with the, so with, when they breed, do you feel that they change, but from your experience, do they change behavior? Give me a summary of the season around breeding. Usually, when do they breed? And I know it changes from year to year because of the warmth. So, And I know it's different in lake to lake, but use Burundong and Windermere as examples. How do the how do the goldens behave before they spawn? How do they behave while they're spawning and then post-spawn? And how do we as anglers know when they are spawning? So water temp is probably your main driver um, to what's really going to fire yellows up this time of year. So um, at the moment, the lakes are sitting around 13 degrees. So what are we in August? Um, usually by the end of August, start of September, they're really fired up on, or just starting to fire up on the edges at Windermere. Yep. Um, that water isn't anywhere near 18 by that stage. You're still looking at 15, depending on your nighttime temps, but around that 15, 16 max degrees. Yep. for that sort of September bite. Um, definitely find that in that colder water, you, that's your best chance to catch your bigger fish, like your 600 pluses. Um, they tend to come on and you've got more of a chance of catching those when that water's still a little bit cooler. Yep. Um, as that water rises and warms up, when you're hitting your 18s and into your early 20s, that's when you seem to catch more fish, but you're catching a lot more of, that, of the males that have fired up. So I think... The bigger fish, maybe it's maybe it's body size, can deal with that colder weather, or they're just a bit more active in the in the yeah, cooler water. Yeah, they need to be active. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get, I guess, like a big cod in the winter yep. time, and then as soon as that water rises 18, 20, that's when you can catch like massive numbers of fish, and they're so aggressive. But I think because the smaller ones are so aggressive, they I don't know if they're beating the bigger one to the lure, or they're just bulk numbers of them together trying to fight over over the the big female so yeah yep yep that makes sense so then usually so you think so before so you're catching less fish but bigger fish before they sort of is there a period that where they actually are spawning where you can't catch it does that happen in windermere or Burrinung or it doesn't happen they still feed while they're actually concentrating on spawning Oh, they definitely still feed when they're spawning, yeah. Um, unlike, like, you know, I guess a spawning trout's almost almost impossible to catch. But yeah. um, yellows, I think, when they're spawning, that's when they are so aggressive. They'll, I think, right. I don't know if they're, they're still if they're, aggressive. Yeah, I don't know if they're yep. eating lures out of just anger or they actually are hungry because they're exerting so much energy while they are spawning. Yeah. So then you still you still get them. So there's no dead period at all during spring no, in Burundong or Windy that you fish. Yeah, yeah, right. And then, so when do they spawn? Do, uh, do they does the spawn in? I know. Does it usually happen like end of September? It depend obviously it depends on the year, but is that when yeah. they're really kicked into gear? And then after that, is that when you start to see the smaller fish? 
So September through to November is like your prime times and when you fish it, I guess they're getting ready to do that spawn, whether it be fake or not. I don't know yeah. how they go with actually breeding in impoundments, but um, definitely September to November, that's your key bite times, especially for Windermere and Burrendong yeah, for catching okay. fish. Um, traditionally, that December through to late Jan is a bit quiet, but you still will catch fish, Yeah, especially I'm talking on the edges. Um and then after late Feb, back through to Easter time, um, around that sort of March, um, April, that's still a good edge bite all the way through. But definitely that September to November, that's when they're fired up. That's when you definitely want to be there. I know you're keen to hear more from Josh and there is plenty more content and tips to come in this episode, but I just want to take a quick break to talk to you guys about the SF membership. Now, it is just starting to take off. So, I want to thank everyone who is a listener of this podcast who has jumped on and supported us in the SF membership, but more importantly, have supported themselves because the content in there is incredible. We are all about helping you and you should you should probably realize that by now. We create this podcast. We put as much energy and passion into this as we can. Also, our website, our YouTube videos, all of our content, social media platforms. But we wanted to put it together and we wanted to grow it and make some really good quality stuff and that is inside the SF membership. If you are a keen freshwater angler, whether you're just starting out, you're in the middle or you really know your stuff there is something for everyone in the SF membership. And what I want you to do is I want you to do me a favor and visit the website. Just go to our website, socialfishing.com.au, click on store and then visit the membership page. And it just shows you what is inside the membership. And I want you to go have a look at that and see if it's worthwhile for you. And if it doesn't suit you, then no worries at all. But I imagine that it will benefit you greatly. We have reports. We are starting to expand the reports. We now have eight reports from different regions in New South Wales and Victoria and that will continue to grow. We also have six SF maps, detailed maps and the latest one that just went up is Lake Windermere. So, Windermere is on the hot spot for fishing this month. We have the report written by Murray Stewart and his first report is a cracker with in-depth info on what's going on and also the SF maps. So, if you plan a big road trip to Windermere once, twice a year, you want to make sure you know what you're doing, going to the right spot and catching fish. And that is the whole point of this membership plus so much more. So, that's enough from me about that but go do yourself a favor. Go to socialfishing.com.au check out the membership and join a group of passionate anglers. We are all passionate, we want to share, we want to help and it is the way forward. So go check out the SF membership and become an SF member today. Now let's get back to the episode with Josh. So let's look at how you approach the season. So we're coming into this season now, this will probably, people will probably be listening to this at the very start of September or the very end of August. So that is like prime. I'm sure you'll be getting out there as soon as cod closes, chasing goldens. What's your approach, either dam, however however you fish either dam, what's your approach for the year? How do you head out on your first trip? What are you looking for? What kind of lures are you using? How are you fishing them? For someone who's new to this or someone, you know, who hasn't hasn't done this style of fishing in the springtime before, what are the things that you look for when you just go out when you're first approaching that start of the season? Yeah, so start of the season, um, obviously, like we just touched on, the fish aren't going to be super fired up. So don't be put off if you're not catching a fish sort of in your, at, a, at a, like your first couple of spots. Probably the biggest, the best bit, the best like tip I could give anyone that's fishing for yellows in the spring or basically any time of year is move constantly. So, yeah. fish a spot, 
fish it for 10, 15 minutes. Um, and if you're not catching a fish, move because you're just trying to locate active fish. So question, didn't mean to cut you off. If you're fishing a spot, right, say I pick a, a little rocky sort of shaley bank that's in the sun or whatever, do you fish it quick? Like are you covering water and putting your cast like 10 metres apart to, to then work it for 15 minutes and then move? Is that what yeah. you do or do you sort of fish slowly earlier in the year or no, you're trying to find fish? So I'll fish an area. So I'll pick, if, I, if I pull up to a point, I always try and cast parallel with the, with the bank not yep. trying to cast um, 90 degrees to the bank because you're just not covering the right amount of water. Um, if you're fishing parallel with a, with a bank or a point, um, just trying to keep your lure on the bottom. Most of these fish you'll catch on the bottom this time of year. So yep. if you're fishing parallel, it's a lot easier to keep that bottom contact or at least 45 degrees to the bank. Yep. Um, so if I'm pulling up to a point, you sort of just fan, sort of fan cast it, like think of it as a clock. So... Yeah, just cast around the clock. So just putting your cast, say, five metres apart and just fishing it with a nice slow retrieve. Yep. Definitely slower retrieve earlier in the season because the fish might not be as fired up. So fishing that slower retrieve right back to the boat and then just moving the next cast, say, five metres to the side and just work that area and just try and cover as much ground. It's really good if you've got two people in the boat because you can cover more ground. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just trying to cover that ground with a nice slower retrieve. So... If you're going early season, definitely two lures that you really want to have would be a ZX blade, um, yep. Eco Gear ZX, uh, the Black Knight. I think it Dark is the Black Knight. The it's Dark the Knight, one. yeah. It's yeah, the one. The Black one, I've got about 10 of those in my box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's awesome bait um, for early season. Yeah, in the 40, yeah. They've just released a 43 too. I'd be keen to see how that goes this year. Definitely. I think with... So with those, I'll touch back on that 43 because I'm pretty excited about using it for this yeah, next right retrieve. Cool. Yeah. So with your ZX40, so just cast to the to the bank, um, trying to get nice and tight to the bank too because the yellows will try and chase that warmer water closer to the edge. Yep. So nice and tight, letting your lure sit on the bottom, just a nice slow hop, just moving your rod tip, say like 150 mil, yep. and then just wind up the slack. And that's just all the way back to the boat, just trying to maintain that bottom contact all the way back. Lots of pauses. Don't be scared to leave it for up to 30 seconds a minute, even longer sometimes, just to have it sit on the bottom. Yeah, with that vibration, crazy. with the vibration of, of the of the blade, so when you're bringing it up, I think the yellows can sense it. Well, they definitely can. And then they'll. it might take them a while to find it, but they will yep. find it. So um, with all these lures, definitely some scent as well. So... Squidgy S factor is awesome. Um, the pro cures like bloodworms and um, the shrimp also good scents. Yep. But pretty much any. I I just like to use scent on all my um, yellow lures. I just yeah. I think it's definitely can be that one percent between getting a bite and not getting a bite. But yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and then the other lure um, which will fish good early season, but it'll really come into its own. Uh, sort of late September right through October is the Jackal Transam. Yeah, I knew I knew you were going to say both for them. I just didn't know yeah. what order you were going to say those two lures. Yeah, keep going. So Jackal Jackal Transam, um, pulling the trebles off those and putting assist hooks on them. Now keeping in mind that in New South Wales you can't have four hooks. Uh, two assists are classed as four hooks. So 
Uh, you can either have a single tra- uh, single assist on the front or and a double on the back or leave the treble on the front. I don't like to because of the weed, but, um, yeah, that's how we rig those. Yep. And then with those, basically the same approach on fish in the bank, but you basically shaking the rod um, with a reasonably aggressive shake and a slow roll at the same time. Yep. Um, it's a bit hard to explain, but no, yeah, uh, just... yeah, I get it. We um, that was the technique we used up there last year, um, and yeah, so you, you're basically kind of lifting it at the same kind of motion, shaking and winding at the same time, aren't you? And then do you pause and let it go back to the bottom, and then do yep, it again? I do. Yeah, yep, for sure. Yeah. So doing that, um, definitely sent on those as well, um, and that's a real good search bait. So when when I was saying you cover in water, so you can actually fish both. You can fish the transams reasonably quick on a point. If you got two guys, you can cast a lot of that point in a short period of time, shaking those transams back to the boat. And if you're not getting fish in sort of like 10, 15 minutes in a spot, move. Like go go to your next point, and yep. just don't be scared to fish random spots. When that dam was super clear a few years ago, like it was gin clear. Uh, the amount of yellows on every bank, it didn't matter what bank you're on, the amount of yellows on those banks cruising the banks was just incredible. It really Isn't it changed, crazy? changed my opinion on the place. I was like, maybe like they're just in little pods and they're sort of, you only get them in areas because I used to fish the same, like my same spots. So yeah, obviously you think that's where, that's the only spot the fish are. But when it was clear, just crazy to see how many fish are on every bank in that place. It is loaded, so. Yeah, well, we did a trip last year and, and some of the best banks were some of the flattest, not most nondescript banks. And whether it's because they were there and not in other places or the fact that they never saw a lure because no one fished it because it looked like a rubbish spot, you know, I don't know what it was, but you're right, they are on, they are on most banks. That's right. And if you're moving spot to spot, um, well, it's like 10, 15 minutes in each spot, you're covering so much ground, your percentage you're catching or coming across active fish is a lot higher than if you're sitting in the spot, wait, like sort of just waiting for a fish to come by yeah. or something like that. So, yeah, definitely that's probably the that's probably the, the thing that changed the catch rate for myself um, is just the amount that you move. I used to just get stuck in a spot and like I've caught them here before, got them here yesterday, or they'll bite in ten minutes ago. But yeah, the fish move around in there so much, and I think they just turn on from being active and feeding to just not feeding for that period of time. So once they started moving around, I was like, wow, catching a lot more fish than what you used to. Yeah, yeah. So it's such a premier fishery. I know I've talked about it on a couple of other podcast episodes, and I'm sure I'll talk about it on plenty more to come. What? what they're such good. If never if you've never been there, they are the most thick set, incredible coloured, fat goldens you'll ever find. Do you know what the actual food source? Have you ever seen the food that they're actually eating in there? Are they are they small bait fish? Is it yabbies? Do you know what their go to food source is? There's lots of those small gudgeons, like the I guess they're about probably like between fifty and seventy mil long. Like you see yep. schools and schools of those. Um, I was fishing there only a few weeks ago and with the live scope, just the amount of bait schools you could see, literally these bait schools were huge, like 10 metres round. Bait of schools. these little things? Of these I, little I'm guessing gudgeons. that's what they were, yeah, the small gudgeons. Um, yeah, okay. moving like so. And uh, freshwater shrimp, there's plenty of shrimp in there as well. Right, okay, yep. yep. I think that's so what a lot of these lures that we're using, sort of, that's what we're trying to imitate, I guess, is the shrimp. Yeah, especially the ZX blade because the, the, the vibration would be like the click 
that they yep. make with their tail. So that that would be yeah, and and shrimp breed like crazy. So that'd be why there's that much food for these fish. Yeah, for sure. Just the amount of bait I saw, like the bait schools. Well, like you can see why they they're so fat. Yeah, it's incredible. So I hit with, I'm going to hit you with a tough question, and I don't know if whether it's tough or like the easiest question to answer in the world. But Burundong or Windy? Oh, uh, windy for sure. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. I knew it was going to um, be that easy. So Burundong but... fish fight harder for sure. Burund- the 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 way Burundong fish fight is crazy, and there's some big fish in there. There's a lot of 600 plus fish in that lake. Yeah, right. So so how do you fish Burundong if th- that same process that you just explained to me about how you fish through the season and how you start the season and how you fish is that how you fish barandong as well or is it slightly different well traditionally or years ago at barandong i've never like we didn't do that trans air retrieve um zx blades was kind of only a thing that was just sort of coming in and once i started progressing from barandong to windermere in the spring it's really hard it was really hard to go back to barandong over windermere right. after yep. like the way that it fishes as you know yeah but we went there last no, the year before last, and we used the Trans Ams there, and we caught heaps of fish doing the same thing. So, and they sit um, shallow too, like they're still yeah, they in do. a similar depth. And what depth are they sitting in? Two to four meters or something like that. Yeah, two, two to six meters. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. don't be scared to go a bit wider. Um, those fish might have just come from feeding up shallow and coming back, but they're still you still can catch them quite easy. So, yep. um, Burundong. Yeah, keen to put, now it is 30%, it should be pretty healthy. I'm keen to put a lot more time in there this spring. Yeah, right. And and will your go-to be fishing the banks or do you find it's a place where the trees produce more? I think Burundong, it'll be a 50-50 mix. So you'll get a lot on, on the banks, but you also get a heap on the trees as well. Um, whereas you can do the same at Windermere, but I guess at Windermere in the springtime, the bigger fish, I believe, move off the trees. And they start start feeding on the banks. You can catch yep. fish on the trees, rolling plastics all year round. Yeah. But I think in that springtime, yeah, that the average size is definitely a lot smaller in the spring on the trees than what it would be on the banks. Yeah, I reckon it's just because there's that many fish in there. They've just got to go somewhere. So there's like some on the banks and some on the trees because they've got nowhere to go, and all <laughs> the little ones get left to the trees. I don't know. It's just it's probably not what it is, but that's that's how it's like. It's like there's that many fish in there. It's just crazy. And and for it to be such a premier fishery that receives so much pressure, but it's only tiny. Like it's it's not tiny, but it's not a huge lake. It's just it it amazes me at how well it fishes year on year. You know, just after all that pressure. It's a real special place, that one, eh? Yeah, it's incredible dam. There's not really a dam that is as like it. It's just yeah, it's, its own lake. But, I, yeah, you, like you say, I just can't believe that it keeps producing fish and the quality of fish just year after year. They must just feed that hard that they just switch off to a being caught. You know, those fish that we're catching, they'd be caught by people every year, like, and they yeah. just they just forget and just keep smashing food. They must smash that much food that they just forget you know, they, mu- they must. Story. Yeah, go <laughs> I got for a good it. Story about this. So we fished there. Um, oh, it was might have been end of August, start of September, and my mate caught a fish and it ended up snapping him off. It was on a um, Zerich fish trap. Yeah. Um, and it, it was one that we'd coloured up. So we'd coloured it up um, in this certain colour. It was it was a min min to start with, and he painted like he got the um, black. Um, spike it pen and he did that did it in the black they make the color now but he that's what he did and it was killing it like it's catching so many fish 
Anyways, my mates went over there a couple of weeks before and I told them that that's what we'd been, what we'd been using. Yeah. And they caught a fish and he sent me a photo of it and had this lure stuck to the side of it, full of slime, like slime all covered all over the lure, like fish was healthy as it would it'd obviously be another lure. But this is three weeks apart, the almost halfway down the dam, so the fish had travelled halfway down the dam. You're joking. And my mate had caught the, the, caught the fish, sent me the photo, he goes, are you missing something? And yeah, I said, wow. I said, wow, where'd you catch it? And he explained the bank, and I was like, that's nowhere near where, like, my mate lost it. So, yeah. yeah that's crazy. So, one, they're traveling, so they're using a stack of energy, but they've got to eat that much. Like, because if they traveled that far, they'd lose condition if they didn't eat as much as they do. So, you're right. They just they just keep eating. When I was watching them on the banks, they don't really, oh, you get a few of them hovering around in their pods, but a lot of fish were just cruising, like, just on a beat, just cruising along the edges i don't know i don't think they a lot of them are resident fish i think yep. they're just they're just moving so yeah 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 it's interesting what you can learn about them what's the what's the standard water clarity there um what's it what's the worst it gets to and then what's the least and the other question i've got for you there's two questions here but you can answer them as you like have you ever had times where they just shut down and you just cannot work them out say in that spring period when they should be biting so the water clarity there is generally pretty good um generally like uh, a meter or so pretty good visibility like yep. it's probably at its worst it kind of gets more green from the algae um yep. and than what it does brown windermere doesn't get massive inflows because the catchment isn't very good so it doesn't get that that big fluctuation in water levels and it doesn't brown up like say burundong or uh, wangler which has like massive catchments yeah um and fish shutting down yeah definitely um I've had I've had a lot more tougher days there than I've had good days, but yeah, um, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a funny dam to work out, but I think if you just keep moving, I think that's the the best way to find your active fish in there, no matter what time of year it is. So when you have a tough day, do you think it's based on weather or conditions or fishing pressure, or do you think it's just you missed out on the wrong the wrong banks for that day and you just happened to pick the wrong banks when the fish weren't there and you just managed to have a bad day? No, def- definitely the weather plays a big plays a big part. I guess all those would like um, you definitely. Everyone has bad days where they just can't put it together on the water. But I've had days there where you just won't get anything in the morning. See fish between like seven and eleven, and just not not getting a touch. Like not you can't you can't uh, buy one. And then say like eleven onwards, um, yeah, they just chew their heads off. So it's yeah it's one of those places that can just switch on on a dime. And I've also seen fish switch off really quickly there. So yeah 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 no that's 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 very true it goes for everywhere but i was just interested to hear your opinion on windermere because it's a place of its own that's for sure so this spring you're heading out both places and burundong's 30 percent. you haven't fished it for a bit what's your game plan now are you going to head up to where there's flowing water coming in what's what's your kind of how are you going to look at it now that you're getting back into fishing it what techniques those kind of things so Burundong, um, being, so I haven't been there and fished at 30% for a lot of years. Um, definitely this time of year, early spring, you're looking for water temp. Um, a lot, most sounders will do this. So you can actually set your temperature alarm on your sounder. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. So, you know, you get like your auto depth alarm, how it beeps when you're in a, like when you go too shallow, you can yeah, set that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, most sounders you can set it. So if you're getting water say 15 degrees um straight off the ramp um and you think that 
if you're going to hit that 17 degree patch, well, then you're probably going to find some more active fish. Yeah. But definitely checking a bit further up the river or your shallower bays, you're going to get that warmer water, but you can set your temperature alarm for, say, 18. So uh, you do look at your sounder a lot, but you do get a bit complacent with it and you're not checking your temp and that sort of thing all the time. Well, I do anyway. I get a bit, yeah. Yeah, a bit zoned in on the actual fishing, not everything else. Yeah. But, yeah, if you set that, well, then it just beeps at you so you can pick that warm water instantly. Um, yep. That was a real good tip off um, one of my mates that I've, uh, that's been around for a long time. That's handy, um, eh? Yeah, real good. Um, so yeah, water work. temp's a big thing you look for early. Yeah, so water temp early um, and then, yeah, just covering your ground as well. So I'll just start by fishing like your shaly, rocky points. Yeah. Um, yeah, any of those shaly, rocky sort of points. So just points are a big thing that I fish in when you're casting banks for yellows. Um Points. And that'd be because the bait's there and it's just their good feeding zones, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. I guess, you, uh, like, the bait and everything moves up over the point. I guess it's like a bit of a hump. And I think some of the fish use that as a bit of an ambush point, sitting yep. either side of it. I think Clint Hansel had a massive, like, a really good point on the currents in dams. Yeah. There's def 100% currents in dams. And I think using points and that sort of... A point's probably your best bit of structure in a dam for mine, I, I believe whether that be cold or yellows, and I think it is because of that current. They can just ambush uh, whatever bait they're, they're, they're targeting over the top of that point. Yeah, and those points, if everyone listening, they can be the subtlest of points as well. They don't need to be the biggest, meanest, rockiest point running into a dam, do they? They can be like very subtle, sort of shaly, shallow so like even for cod, some of the fish we've caught them off are like coming into a bay, but just a shallow point and like a very subtle kind of point. Do you find that as well? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's basically any any transitional difference in the bank. So whenever it goes, it doesn't need, yeah, like you say, it doesn't have to be a big point. It can just be a little dip in the bank or a slight cut out or something like that. But any sort of difference or transition in the, in the bank, that's yep. kind of the areas where you seem to have a lot more success than than on your flatter banks um when you're well, chasing big, straight long rocky banks or things like yeah. that yeah i'm not a yep. massive rock wall fan to fish um for yeah, yellows yeah. no not really i, I reckon know they hold a lot more smaller fish yeah for sure and i guess it doesn't really suit the style of fishing it's to fish that deeper um area i guess you're not going to be able to fish the same retrieves as effectively yep exactly but just and touching on a couple of other different lures, if you did want to fish a rock wall or, or a little bit deeper, um, yeah, definitely going like a tan sixty or any any sort of um, crank uh, lipless crank. Uh, they're good to just slow roll. You can keep them nice and deep in the water column through those rock walls and through that deeper section of water. And the best way to fish them is kind of to sit real tight parallel. That way your lure. It's not working away into sort of dead water. Is that how you would fish them? Yeah, for sure. And if you can get like you can cast those in the trees too. Back in Burundong, used to fish um, yellows in the like getting in the top sort of tops of the trees, um, casting tan sixties into them. It's probably one of the funnest bites you'll get for a yellow. But um, just when you're rolling it through the trees, any of that little bit of deflection. So when you, that lure just bumps over the top of a stick, yeah, seems to just really trigger that bite. And if they follow it, and then just that little bump deflection really um, turns them on. Yeah. Yeah, it's good fun, aren't they? They're good fun. It's good because we've just been chasing cod all winter and you kind of start talking about this. You're like, yeah, I'm keen for September. Bring <laughs> just, it on. 
after a long winter, and uh, I know you weren't going to ask me about the winner I've had, but yeah, <laughs> tough get... winner. Well, you brought it <laughs> up. Winner. You brought it up. So you may as well tell everyone. <laughs> tough winner. So, just leave tough winner. Not not many meters. Um, yeah. So to, to go out and catch sort of when you're catching 10, 20, 30 yellows in a, in a day, um, not not freezing with the sun on you. It's actually yeah. quite nice. <laughs> so is that what's a standard bite? Like you're saying, you'll get twenty or thirty yellows for a day. So for people listening, like that's that's what people can achieve when they hone in their skills on yellows. Like that's a that's a common catch, is it? Getting over that ten or fifteen fish. I'd say ten, fifteen. If you're catching ten, fifteen, twenty, that's a a good day, like an yeah, average okay. day. Yeah. Um, we've had days there where yeah, you catch <laughs> massive. We've had a day. We had a weekend there in AYC tournament. Um, was when the deer was when the dam was really clear. Uh, not many boats were throwing transam, so I guess the fish weren't as keyed on to uh, that style of lure. Yep. But we boated. Oh, it was, it was over a hundred fish for the weekend. For, Holy for the, dooly! For the day and a half, yeah, it was crazy, epic. Jeez, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, my that's back, crazy. Do you my remember back the- deck was terrible? It was just slime. it was just a slime deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that happens when you catch one big cod. You need to catch a few yep. yellows to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, do you do you head out? So, say if you were to go right, the fish are chewing right. They're on. It's the prime time of the year. Whether it's Burrendong or Windermere, probably more Windermere. This question: Do you continue if you've worked out what they're feeding on? Do you continue to use the same lure? Um, to try and just find that bigger fish or catch that fish like on a certain part of the retrieve or just to keep catching those fish and get that experience, like not experience but kind of the enjoyment and the fight or do you go, I might change or I might try this or I might do this or once you've worked it out, you'll stick with it? No, we, ch- we change a lot. Um, uh, we've all, like I guess on those good bite days, that's when you do start pulling out some weird stuff. Yep, um, just for fun or to learn yeah, as just- well? Oh, both. Yeah, I, I, I remember fishing there with a couple of mates last year, with Jacko and um, Robbo. We we're fishing there, filming a video for Dawa, and uh, it was a pretty good bite. They were pretty fired up. We we're ca- catching a fair few, and I pulled this lure out, and everyone shook their head, and yeah, it just got smoked first cast. What <laughs> was, was like, it? Oh, uh, it was a shrimp imitation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And everyone's think, looking at you like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, I, so I that, knew it would work because my mate had been having some pretty good success on them. But yeah, so they, they smoked it. So. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. So with so someone's just getting into this style of fish and they're keen for it. And if you're not keen after listening to this podcast, there's something wrong because it's awesome fun. It is proper fun. What outfit setup do you run from start to finish? From the look, like you've talked about the lure, but you know the leader knot all the way up the leader to the reel, the rod. What's your sort of go-to setup? Yeah, so my go-to for Transams um, is a Daiwa Zero Seven Two Two ULSS. Um, Someone knows his numbers and rod models. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, good. Yeah. That's good. Keep going. Yeah, so that's um, that's a real good blank for when you're fishing the Transams and you're shaking them. You would have noticed yourself. You can't. The rod does a lot of the work for you. Yeah. Um, through that sort of uh, top third of of the blank. Um, so when you're shaking those, you need a rod that has a fair bit of give through that top third. Um, so you can shake them effectively and keep that action going nice and easy. So that's a a seven foot two rod. Um, I like the bit longer rod for casting the edges, um, just to get that super long cast out. 
Yep. Um, I, I do try and cast as far away from my boat as possible because A, you're covering ground, and then B, you cat, you're targeting fish that probably haven't seen your boat, especially in a place like Windermere. Even though they do bite pretty good, I think if you can do those little 1% as everyone else isn't doing um, on pressured fish, you, your catch rate will go up. Yeah, okay. So that I'll just pair that up with a 2,500 size reel. Mm-hmm. So I'm using a Daiwa sole on that um, most of the time. Yep. Um, with some 10-pound J-Braid Grand. Um, I don't like to go much lighter than 10. Uh, you can. But for the size of the fish or for what uh, reason? For... It's too yeah, fine so, for you? Yeah, size of the fish. So if, if, you, if you're sticking a good fish... You just on ten pound, you get a lot of confidence that no matter what happens, you you're most likely going to get it to the boat. Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. Have, don't have too it, many of those bad stories. Yep. Um, I, don't, I don't think it affects the bite at all to go any lighter. So if you can get away with ten pound, you may as well do it. Yep. Um, and then just ten pound leader um, on that and using J thread, but you can. I do use an eight pound leader sometimes. Yeah. Um, if the water's really clear, I'll step it down to a, to an eight. Or if I feel the bite's a bit tough and I'm just looking for that something else for confidence, I'll go to an eight. Um, if they're really chewing, I'll just tie a twelve. Yeah, right. So that yeah. way you're just not, you're not. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. You're not going to miss out on a real cracker if you get a nick in your leader or something. For sure. And they do rasp them up a fair bit. Um, yeah. They do. Yeah, rub on the gill plates and that sort of thing. So I guess you're not retying a lot. Especially when you're catching more than two or three fish a day. Like you're catching yeah, for sure. good numbers of fish. So that, that'll easily happen. And then what do you tie? Do you tie loop knots to certain lures or do you just tie them all straight to the rings or what? what's your preference? So F, FG from um, Brad Deleter, for sure. Yep. Um, I don't really tie anything else on any of my gear anymore. Just FGs mm-hmm. for everything. Um, just there's too good. I think the name suggests that. And yep. then... Um, so f- I always try and use a loop knot um, on my transams, but I've just recently started using the fast hatch fast clips from uh, Mustard. Yep. So I've been using those in my cod gear this year, and um, touch wood, I haven't had one fail. Um, but um, yeah, I'm going to start using those in my yellow gear a bit more. It just saves you time leaders if you're swapping lures. Yeah. Uh, it's nice and quick and easy, and I, I really don't think it affects um, the fish to have a little yeah, clip yeah. on there. Yeah, that's fair enough. Then, then and you, the, what you're talking about is those tiny little clips. You're not talking about a big old snap swivel nah, from nah. the old school. So it's like proper small clip. It's almost just a little bit big, bigger than a ring, um, and it's minor in the whole appeal of the lure. When you think about, it, you got the hooks and the rings under the lure. The clip on top, really, really, it's a good idea, and I think a lot more people are going towards it now. Eh? Yeah, well, I think the fast touch ones. I guess they're like ten mil long, and they come in different poundages, but. Um I think I used the 25 pounds, so the 12 kilo ones, yep. four yellows. Um, and I'll tie those with a, I think, I'm going to get this wrong, and I'm going to say a palmolve knot. Yeah, right, maybe. that's new to me. You double it over, put it through, and then bring it back through and like uh, do a hitch and then go right over the clip and pull it tight. Yeah, Real I, definitely, simple. I definitely followed all that. I can no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, if anyone, if anyone, just let me know if anyone 
fully except for people who know that knot if anyone fully understood that knot and can tie it based on that explanation I want to let I want you to know tag us in your Instagram stories and let us know because I don't reckon anyone's picked up on that if you can can first one to tag me in it I'll send them a um, spool of 10 pound J braid yeah nice there you go there's a challenge for everyone so everyone listen to the podcast if you can film a video of that knot as a hope, yeah. Well, don't say what it was again, because yeah. But uh, whatever that knot was, based on um, Josh's description, there you go. <laughs> I've had a shocker there, eh? Oh, no, well, after it's, it's, after it all happens, I'll, I'll I'll put the link up to it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because <laughs> if you could explain, like, if I don't think anyone could explain a knot other than a granny knot. Like over audio, over a podcast, <laughs> but good job for trying. No, it's good. I'll have to watch that one afterwards. But yeah, so that's um that's the knot you use for lighter gear or for all of your time to the clips. Everything. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm keen to see it now. It's awesome for cod. Like it's because I I, I was telling you before I lost that fish at the boat um this winter on that yeah. straight pull and that was more user error than anything. But after that, I was just tying blood knots straight to my clips. Um, yeah. I jumped on and Googled now, found this Berkeley um, article and it had all these knots and what the knot strength was. So obviously when you're tying a knot, you're compromising the line. So you're using yeah. a 50-pound leader, but you're tying a knot that might compromise it by 50%. I think a blood knot, don't don't quote me here, but I'm pretty sure it was 50%. So technically bad. you've got a 25-pound uh, spot in your 50-50 setup. Yep. So you yeah, you're selling yourself short there. So I Googled all these knots and found this knot and it's got 100% knot strength, same as an FG. So, yeah, and that's the main like reason for swapping that. And it ties well and, it, and it's solid and... As you like, could tell from my explanation, it's super easy to tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it obviously holds well. Yeah, no, it's Based awesome. on your experience, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Oh, that's good. That's good. So that's your setup and do you upgrade trebles on um, lures? And the other question is, do you have spare trebles? Because something I do when fish for yellows is I change hooks all the time. But what do you do with your hooks? So that's just a setup I'd use for casting transams. Probably, um, it is a bit of an all-round rod, but that's basically just for transams. Oh, right. Um, yeah, true. You've got this other setup. Run us through that. So, casting blades, I'll go to a rod that's a little bit stiffer in the tip. Yeah. Um, using a dial hyper, um, 702 ULS XS. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to look it up, that's a hyper. Um, that's a little bit stiffer in the tip, so you can pick the lure up off the bottom and get that real slight vibration. Um, really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, just using small, small rod lifts. Um, that's the only reason why I use a different blank on that. So just two different lures, different retrieves. I just feel that you, you can cover it with both, but if you have those two rods, you can fish them super effectively. Yep. Um, or a rod with a similar taper, of course. Um, all, my, all my spin reels are 2500s, and like, like I said, I just use that 10-pound braid, 10-pound leader. Yep, same setup there. Yep. Yep. So basically that'll cover you for everything there. Um, through that and as far as spare trebles i don't really use trebles on any of my yellows yeah they're all all single assists um and i tie those myself it's really hard (laughs) it's real time consuming but i just like doing it yeah okay so you tie your own that's that's it's good and that's that's that thing you're talking about with fishing is kind of 
we've all got these things that we do and everyone does different things that kind of is this big bubble outside of the actual going fishing and obviously that's one of your areas of things you do like I, I rig all these big plastics and I'd never even thought to rig single assists but obviously you've got them down pat exactly how you like them yeah for sure so I got like a little um ruler that I use and I know how long I've got to cut the braid and I know like after my first one where I've got to start tying the, the next yep. um to, to, to complete it yeah um yeah you do get a few hooks in the fingers but it is like Especially you say small oh, stuff <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite times i know it's a pretty tedious job when you're tying your own assist but i'll whack a podcast on um like yeah. fishing listen to that and just tie my tie my hooks and yeah by myself i enjoy that that's yeah it's good eh? it's yeah. good and like you said it's that's that's what makes up the whole fishing it's not just about hitting the water it's about all those other small things yeah, it seems real cliche, but it is part of the journey. It's all whole, fishing is a whole journey from like start to finish. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the go. Do you know many other people who tie them as well, or you yeah. kind of that a lot of people tie them themselves? Oh, I know a couple of people that tie them. Um, yep. Reason we're tying them is because of the the length. So when you had when you buy the ones out of the box, um, off like off the shelf, there's plenty of different brands and they're all really good, but it's really hard to get the back treble and the front treble the right the sorry the back and the front assist the right length so when you cast them they don't tangle on themselves tangle up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that's the main reason and I started tying them on 100 pound braid and that seems really um really stiff but when you did that video years ago for um rigging the soft plastics yeah I had some braid left over from that and I thought oh, I was tying them on that so we tied them on that and my mate was doing the same thing and it actually makes them stick out a bit. So I think when you're shaking them, they actually stick, sort of protrude forward. So when the fish plucks at it, I guess it's given it a bit more opportunity for the hook to, to actually grab the hook instead of shaking mm. down beside the body. Yeah, yeah, right. So you tie them with 100 pound? Yeah, 100 pound. Yeah, it yeah. seemed real Not... overkill, but yeah, oh, well, ma- you... mainly for the stiffness of, of yeah, the, yeah, the braid, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't even, yeah, like you don't do it for that reason. Like hooks are hooks. They're like, you know, they're strong and braids obviously a little bit different. But yeah, obviously you're doing it for the purpose of it sticking out. But that's, that's interesting. Tying 100 pound on, how small are your assists? Are they like the size that come on the ZXs or are we talking a bit bigger? I'd go one size bigger, I think. They're so a they're size... tiny. Yeah, size eight, um, single egg hook. They are um, from Gamagatsu, I think. Make them, yeah. Gamagatsu. Wow. Single, single egg hook. I'm pretty sure that. Single oh, octopus egg hook. hook. Or yeah, octopus wow. Hook, yeah. And what are so, they size? Size eight, I think. Eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you tie the hundred on that. Geez, good job. <laughs> I reckon it's fiddly enough doing it on a one o treble, let alone a um, tiny little single. That's the. That's good. That's interesting. And you just tie. Are you just tying one? So for your transams, do you have one on the front, one on the back, or do you just have two off the back in one yeah. setup? So on the back ones, um, uh, tying like a, a hook either end of your of your braid. Yep. Um, so you got a like you got a hook, and then like say eighty mil of braid, and then another hook, and then you can just half hitch it around the back toe point. Yeah, you push you push the bended part through, and then loop over the two yep. hooks. Yeah. Yep, and then pull it tight. That was my not explanation. <laughs> that worked. I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then the front one, um, so you double and you line over and then tie in your snell. So you've yep. got the same thing but only one hook on the front to, to stick only with one. the regular. So you can have three. So you're allowed to yeah. have three Yeah, hooks. but you can't have double, double. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, that's a 
Yeah, it's, yeah, right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, silly. Like, like having a few rods rigged up. So. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is the rule? You're only allowed to have two, aren't two. you? Two, yeah. But you yeah, can have a clip like... on them. So if you're using the clips that we've been talking about, well, then you can have as many laying there ready to roll as you want. What? And you? that's what? Clips with a hook with a lure on it or the lure has to be off the clip? Lure has to be off. Yeah, technically. Yeah, I reckon I run around with about 15. No, nah, not that many, but a proper... You don't want to see my front deck? <laughs> nah, either. <laughs> Even when I'm chasing cod, like you only use a couple, but it's just... Uh, and, and a clip does... Yeah, I just use different rods for different lures. You got to have them. So. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. So do you have a do you have a experience? Like, do you have one? I know Yellows cod. You can sort of go, yeah, I remember what happened and like this one trip because they're they're far and few between. But Yellows, do you have one experience that was sticks in your mind of like a certain fish or the way you caught a fish or a session you had? Um, over the last how many years you've been fishing? Is there anything that sticks out or not really? Not particularly. I what remember about cod? my f- I remember my first fish over six hundred, yellow. Yeah, right, eh? Yeah. So what is your PB, yellow? Six forty one. Six forty one, six forty three. Six forty something. Yeah. Proper fish. Yeah. Big <laughs> fish. <a> fish. Windermere <laughs> fish, obviously. Yeah, windy, yeah. And so tell us about your first one over six hundred. So I was fishing there with a mate, and it was only like one of the first times I'd been to Windermere. Um, and I was just saying to him, like, I'd love to catch one of these 600 mil fish. Like, they're massive. And he goes, yeah, he said, usually get one a trip. And we'd sort of been there. We fished all day, and we caught a fair few fish on the 500s, just your standard Windermere size. Yep. Um, and we pulled up at this deep, rocky point, and it was real deep sort of spot it might boat might have been in say 10 meters of water and we're still a fair way off the off the point so i'm guessing yeah we're in roughly 10 and we're casting this point not having any luck and i just threw this cast way wide of the point and the lure hit the bottom and the rod just loaded up and i was like yeah i got one um fought it all the way to the boat and it was a big slob of a fish i think it went 615 um wow. and yeah, that was pretty just to hold that, I think we are talking before about the difference between a metre cod and a metre 20 cod. When you get that yellow over 600, you know that it's a proper monster. Yeah, it's good fun, aren't they? It's good. And I'm just thinking about it now, just like sort of picturing being up on the lake and hooking into these things on spin gear. It's like just, And it's good that we've got the opportunity because it's totally different to chasing cod, eh? Like you yeah, actually sure. get the fight, you get a bit of sunlight, it's not freezing cold. I think you know. Windermere and you've probably... Like, this will start drawing another picture in your mind, but Windermere, so you're fishing, like, all over, and it's that nice, like, warm spring, like, late October, and it's nice and warm, still shorts, yeah. T-shirt, cruising back to the main area, and you just smell all the fires, like, because it's still warm enough to have a fire, but yeah. you smell those fires as your boat's rolling back into the bank. That is that is the best. Isn't it good? And it's, they're the small things, eh, in life that yeah. you got to enjoy. Because I just went on that trip to Wyangla, and I reckon the one thing from that trip, other than the big cod that, um, Jack caught and a few other good fish that we got and the whole trip the one thing that I will remember as one of the best parts of the trip because I don't don't do it very often because most of the time we're fishing in the dark is laying on top of my swag right beside the fire and looking at the stars it was yeah, just awesome. the best it was so good and and for everyone listening they're the things you got to really take away from fishing and you know what we love about it is the small things that you enjoy and you don't might you might not enjoy that but if you don't enjoy a fire there's something wrong but the the fire and sitting there and the stars and then it's just yeah it's just awesome sometimes you really got to soak up those those good things but then again if you're chasing big cod most of the time 
ducks to go, so you got to put in the hours. So that's why it was good at, at Wyangala because we were able to fish during the daytime and then yeah. enjoy the nights, which was good. Um, so tell us, is there a cod experience that sticks in your mind? Yeah, I've got, I guess, two. Um, no one ever forgets their first cod over a metre. That's always a pretty cool day. Yeah. Um, but they'd, I guess both of these stories are quite similar in the way that what they started. So um, my mate and I have been fishing Wangler for a, like, oh, a few months um, I think it might have even been the second year, second winter. We didn't catch any of the first winter, just small, couple of small fish. Um, and I think we fished there Thursday, a Friday, and it was Saturday, and we'd got one 50-centimetre fish. Yep. And we thought, let's just go as far up the river as we can, and we'll just see what happens. So we went as far up the river as we could, um, and we found this pretty cool-looking spot within five What minutes. height was the lake? Was the lake pretty high 50. or pretty low? 50. Yeah, so there's a 50. bit of water. Yeah. There's a little yeah. bit of water up there. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a pretty long run to get all the way up there. Yeah. Um, and we started fishing this bank, and um, my mate caught a fish is about 60 centimetres, and we're like, oh, this might be good up here. Like, you know, we've caught a fish straight away, and we've just spent two and a half days fishing the rest of the lake and haven't got a touch. Um he got a fish at five o'clock. It was five o five or something. Looking back at the pictures, yeah, um, and it was one o two. That was his first meter out of there. Yeah, wow, um, that was pretty cool. Um, about fifteen minutes later, dropped a fish. Big ball come up, and I just thought, no, that's my chance. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was boat still buzzing because like just a meter fish just come on board, and we'd work pretty hard to get finally catch a big cod. Um, and then 5.30, boom, hooked, the, hooked my first metery. Um, both of the fish went 102. So within half an hour, after a lot of time on the water, yeah. we both, both boated a metre fish. Yeah, wow. And what did you get them on? Uh, the Dan's was on a Copeton Magic Gantrel, and mine was on a TG Gantrel. Yeah, okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Complete opposite ends of colour, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the fish were just chewing that day. Yeah, that's the go. And then, so, what's your other? You had another cod story. So the other one um, last winter was pretty slow until uh, the end of July. Didn't really catch many big fish. Got a couple in the nineties, that sort of thing. Um, I think one meter before that, and we went to the dam on. It was a Sunday morning. We just went straight from Orange to Wyangala, put the boat in, still dark, and went and fished up the river, and it was just that, that morning where you see a bit of bait skipping and everything just seems really good. You're like, yeah, yep. this is this is going to, like, we're going to get one here. Fished all these real likely-looking spots, not even a touch. Um, don't you hate that? Don't you hate, yeah, like, you, like, don't you proper hate when you fish that morning session and it feels good and then it gets to that point where you're like, yeah, it's it's gone. And we saw a boat, like, in the distance and we'd seen them, like, people splashing net and a big fish and we're like, that's a big fish. Oh, and really? It's just like, you just knew that, like, the fish, you just have that morning where everything feels good and there's plenty of bait moving around and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to get one. Like, someone's going to get one, you're just waiting for it. Yeah. So it was 8.30, the sun was right up, and I was like, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, show's nah. over. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's gone. So my mate goes, yep, yeah, got one, back of the boat, mate, netted, netted it. That was his first meter fish, so he was cheering. Um, I guess it doesn't matter who catch, you know, this yourself. It doesn't matter who gets one in the boat. No matter who, like, as long as you're getting a, a big fish in, in the boat, there's just this aura, like, buzz that just... Yeah happens in the boat when that happens so yeah it's not it's not it's almost like you feel you caught it as well 
Like, yeah, for sure. It's weird fish, to say, but that's what it feels like. Yeah, the fish that Talos caught just recently at Blairing that went 119, I've got to stop saying that we caught it because I feel like we caught it because it's team effort. <laughs> that's what I'm you like, say though, don't you? Talos yeah. caught it, but I feel like it, it's like I was there too. Like I'm behind the camera, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it, it, when it comes to meter cod, it's, yeah, it's a team effort. Yeah, for sure. And then, so we've put that fish back and a few photos and he's buzzing and um, about five minutes later, he's yeah, got another one. Boom, there's like a 90, 99, I think it was. It was a big yeah. fish. Oh, yeah. Wow, like, yeah, this, they were just fished all morning in the likely time, nothing, sun's up now and the fish start chewing. Um. So he's got two fish, and I just bombed this cast way out in front of the boat. And I've just, it's funny, like, you don't really remember casts that you do, but I remember this cast. I remember it going real long cast, and I was like, geez, that's a long way out in front of the boat. And I was rolling it, and it ticked over a rock, and I thought, oh, like, rock there. And I just gave it one more wind and let it sink. And it was just this subtle pluck, like a real little pluck. It wasn't a big yep. hit or anything. Yeah. Lent into it, and I just... It had, I just had nothing. I just struck it and it just was like a dead weight. And I was like, you sort of, you know it was a fish because you felt the pluck, but it's like, wow. And I said to my mate, like, big fish, this is a big fish. Yeah. Um, started fighting it back to the boat and I was chasing it. It was swimming around in circles almost. It was fighting really weird. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't really tell, but I said, it just feels so heavy. And then got it within 10 meters of the boat and it surfaced and just floated up in the top and it was just a monster. I was like, wow, that is massive. My mate's like, he's like, I can't net that. That's too big. And I was like, you got to get that thing in the net. <laughs> yes. So he, he's netted it and it's half its body's hanging out of the net and just wrapped their arms around it and lift into the boat. And I just remember it laying on the deck and he goes, how big is it? And I said, I don't know. Like that's something else. And I was, that was a meter 21. So, yeah, yeah, it was just that, but this the size of that fish, just to look at it and hold it. I was like, well, this thing is just a different caliber, like it's a monster, yeah, yeah, so. they, aren't they? They're even from a meter to a meter 10 to a meter 20, they're all very, very different fish. Like a 95 to a meter is almost the same, but yeah. from like a meter to a meter 10, they're different, and then a meter 10 to a meter 20, it's just like stupid different and then i've been lucky enough to see two over meter 30 and that's like the oh. next level again and it's they are dead set they make a 120 look tiny like photos don't do them justice just the nah. sheer size and nah. even when you got your hand in their mouth and you're holding onto their lips and it's taken up like a whole handful just around their bottom lip it's like yep. this thing is massive <laughs> yeah how good is that and you got all three of those fish in the daylight like proper daylight it was between uh, I think 8 and 8.30, so half an hour again. Oh, you're kidding. Just that sheer half an hour run. We, and we both just sat down in the boat afterwards and it was kind of like we wanted to keep fishing, but we both were just like, yeah, I'm pretty happy. So Yeah, yeah. That happens with cod hay when you're them like yeah. meters. You're like, oh, you want to keep going, but then you don't want to work here. Work real hard and then like go. Oh, we should have just soaked it up. Like it's sometimes, yeah. sometimes. You, you yeah. know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Well, we just sat back and we're like, yeah, I'm, like I'm happy. We're both happy. <laughs> yeah, it's good, eh? It's good. But oh, I guess so both good. those stories, like <clears throat> we'd fished both the times, fished good water, good times, just nothing doing, and then all of a sudden, just boom, like it's just so quickly of all the hours you spent in half an hour, you've just put three big fish in the boat each time. But it's crazy to think that that was three casts. Like, there were only three casts that counted 
and there were three cars that happened to go where you put them and you could have sat down or turned around or did something stupid not put the cast there and those three casts could have gone different directions and you would have donated. Like, have you ever yep. thought about stuff like that? It's crazy. <laughs> you obviously think about that too. I do too. Yeah, I do yeah. too. When you catch a big fish, you're like, what if I didn't cast there or what if I moved it like the lure differently or something? Like, all the stars really have to align for a big fish to eat your lure. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that... Like it's not just a it's not just a fish like we're talking like meter plus cod it's a it's a fish that sends your night from like nothing to ridiculously unreal like this fish that Talos just caught it was his eighth trip to Blaring without a touch this winter and he just went from having the worst winter season at Blaring to probably not the best but like he's done like he's completed it like at one nineteen he's happy you know what I mean like it's one cast. I and think I've like, to you before, like I've had a real shitty winter this winter as terms of big cod go. But you only need but one more. You only need one. <laughs> something big's coming. This is when when something when, when it's going bad like that, from drawing back on those last two stories or um, like bigger fish that you've caught. Same as when you're doing it tough, that's when it just turns on a dime and you just get that fish where you just yeah. go, Yeah, this is why I'm gonna keep doing it. And it's a problem. Not that you ever want to give up, but No, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it's, when you do get it, you're like, oh, it's a bit sweeter because you kind of yeah. work for it a lot harder. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a crazy feeling. Like I know like when Tao got this fish and we got it all on video in the dark. So oh, it, what he says is just crazy. He's like, he's shaking. You can hear it in his voice. And it's just like, I can't believe like one cast, finally one cast and it did it. Like, and what if, like you said, what if that cast didn't go there? It's just, yeah, they're incredible fish. They are, they are truly Truly incredible. But um, the topic of conversation for the night was the yellows, which is going to be exciting come this spring. So for anyone uh, listening to this podcast, you're obviously keen on the spring yellows. And Josh, there were some real good tips you shared, mate, especially the one the one, the one, one that you would say is the pinnacle of what you shared is the moving around. Yeah, for sure. Yep, definitely. So just covering as much water as possible and covering new water. Yep new water and more water and structure even both lakes from your experience isn't always the big thing it's more of just try everything try different stuff it doesn't have to be the biggest maddest looking bank does it no no for sure if, you, if you're covering ground you are gonna force yourself to to try those different spots because yep. not, not all spots are the same so if you are covering bulk areas well then soon enough you'll be able to pattern them yourself where you go okay well today they're biting on the sort of the rockier banks or they're on the grassier or the muddier banks so if you're covering water you're just you're just um helping yourself out so much more than if you're sitting in the same spot or trying to do the same thing you always have done yeah yeah and another thing do you use your sounder much to find fish so that you know they're sort of in the area that you're casting and if there's like nothing showing up you'll move on quicker than your 10 minutes or is it something you don't rely on too much when you work in the bank for yellows in the spring i never really have sometimes i'll side scan an area to see if there's any fish there on the side scan yeah, I'm not a big believer in scanning a bank before you fish it because yeah, I just nah. think that it puts too much pressure on yep. on the fish. Like, yeah, you've yep. seen your boat, it's noisy. Um, at Windermere, like I was saying, you know there's fish in every bank, just fish it. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't even need a sounder to fish that place. I do have the live scope now in the boat, so I am keen to see a bit more of the reaction stuff and just it's. I will be keen to see how many fish are actually there in terms of what you're catching. Yep, um, yeah, I know what you but, mean. 
I've said to myself already, and I think that's been my downfall with the cod this year. I know Skeersy's kill it on the live scope, but I've tried to fish a totally different way than what I've always fished. So I've been chasing fish and and spending a lot lot more time on the sounder than actually just casting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you've you've given it a crack this winter, the live scope. Yeah, scale. for sure. And caught lots of fish, good numbers of fish. Just haven't caught any monsters. Um, but I think with with that as well. Um, this springtime, I said to myself, I'm not going to get caught up on the live scope in yep. terms of yellows. Like, I'm just going to fish for them. I think I think that's why I used to love cod fishing a lot when you do come out of, like, a lot of tournaments because you spend so much time glued to the sounder when you were cod fishing. You know, sounder's off or you're not looking at it, you're just casting and yeah. slow roll. Yeah. So and it's kind of a bit of time away from that. It's, I guess it goes back to that totally different styles of fishing to what you can sort of get out of it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and I know this technology is going to take over a bit, but I still feel like people who are out there just to enjoy it will still resort back to the, I just want to cast a bank and just get that hit and enjoy fishing for what it was, not looking at the screen. Do you feel like the people yeah, who just want that will do that? Like for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, for yellows in Windermere, I, I have so much fun just working a bank and getting a hook up. Like I'd prefer to catch one fish like that than five on the screen you know to a point like yeah. yeah i just feel yeah it's it's interesting and like you said you fish totally different this winter and it didn't work out for you it, it obviously life scope if people who use it right and have honed in the skills it takes time like you need like the experience to work it out it obviously works but even for us we went to Wyangla and we talked to blokes who'd fish Wyangla and they'd only caught two fish in the 90s for three days or in the 80s and we'd caught seven fish and we were just casting up into real shallow water where you probably wouldn't even be able to really use the live scope well and we were just working real hard timber real shallow you know and we were getting some good fish and it was just an awesome way to fish so it's got its place obviously oh 100 percent. i definitely would not have it on the boat because of what it can teach me and I, I think it's going to be a good thing for learning um behaviors of fish and that sort of thing yeah so definitely awesome bit of kit and i love it to bits but i think if we get right into the chat on sonar and stuff we'll be here for another hour yeah exactly we'll yeah. have to go again we'll go again on sonar <laughs> yeah i know there's so many yeah so many topics we could talk about but the yellow one the yellow chat was good so i appreciate that mate and that pretty well has pulled us up anyway so i'm glad you yeah because i was about to ask you more questions well i wasn't about to but you could see where you s- said the conversation was going to go but um we can keep going but i'll be here for another half an hour hour talking about sonar <laughs> yeah exactly exactly no well um you've shared heaps and that was a really good chat uh, especially on all that stuff for yellow. So it's prime time now. Everyone listen to this. Get out there and give it a crack. Josh, thanks for joining me, mate, and good luck with your yellow season. What's the goal? One over 64 centimetres? 65 this, this season would be awesome. I'd love yeah. to catch a 65, but I don't know how it went with the, um, with the podcast. I don't know if, if I explained stuff good enough, but if anyone has any questions or anything like that, just yeah, send me a message. More than mate, happy to help anyone. Nailed it. Yeah, what's your Instagram? Uh, Josh Cop underscore, pretty Josh sure. Josh Cop underscore, I think it is, yeah. Yep, guys, get on and follow Josh, uh, especially for this spring to see if he cracks a 65 and also to see if he gets that cod for the winter, that big one. I'll be looking out for it, mate. But no, I reckon you explained it spot on. Everything except for that knot. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon everything except for that knot, but yeah, no, mate, you know Can't to see it. if someone can get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was awesome. Mate, appreciate it. Thanks, Heath, for your time and uh, good luck for the spring. Thanks for having me, mate. I had a ball. Cheers, mate.
And there you have it, guys, our first episode on Spring Golden Perch for 2020, and it is going to be a cracker of a year. We've gone from super cold to super warm, and I think over the next couple of weeks, things are really going to fire. Our reports are starting to come through in the SF membership, and they are looking very exciting. Reports from Burrenjuk, we've got Blowering, we've got Windermere, we've also got Burrendong, and we've got a whole heap more, including Eildon, and yeah, there's a stack more there. And they're coming through with updates on what's going on with the Golden Perch and how they are feeding. Now, one thing we're going to look forward to in the future, I know we cover a lot of stuff on COD. Uh, We've done a bit of trout stuff and a bit of golden perch stuff. We're going to be doing more trout stuff. We're going to be interviewing more trout anglers, but we want to also cover as much stuff on bass fishing as well because bass are a huge sports fish in this country and it's one thing that I do want to apologize that we haven't touched on a whole heap of yet. I have a couple of bass anglers lined up for some awesome, awesome interviews coming up very soon and I also have some content videos, uh, maps, also reports on bass, tips on bass that will be inside the SF membership as time goes on. Now, if you guys have any listener questions, you can shoot through your listener questions that Talis and I will answer in the listener questions episode. We do one every month to six weeks where we answer your questions. They're actually really exciting episodes because they take their own path and we sit down and answer the things that you want us to answer in detail and give you our most honest and passionate opinions and answers to those questions. So shoot them through and you can do that at socialfishing.com.au jump on the website and create a free account. So you can create an account for free and what that allows you to do is to then directly submit your listener questions. They come direct to us and we receive every single one. Even if you don't get a response, you will get a response in the podcast, the next upcoming listener questions podcast. And what you also get out of that free account is access to the Freshwater Mini Series. It's a tutorial series that we put together to help you guys catch fish and you can just see some of the quality of the content that we put together in that and you'll learn a stack on Golden Perch, Murray Cod and Trout in that freshwater mini series. So sign up, go check that out. It's totally free and then you can submit your listener questions. If you enjoy this podcast or it's your first time here, leave a review or a rating on the podcast app, especially the Apple Podcasts app. Leave a comment there and a rating. We would love to hear from you guys. And if you have any people in particular that you want us to interview or any topics that you want us to do a complete episode on, put it in your listener questions area there as well. If you want us to do uh, a certain topic on bass in small streams or a very particular niche kind of topic, you can submit that through that listener questions portal as well. Or if you have any people in particular that you want us to interview, you can whack it in there. Now, that was a cracker of an episode with Josh. Still my favorite part was his description on the knot. I'm sure if he listens to this back again uh, at some stage, it'll make him laugh. And if I ever listen to this again, which I do, I listen to all the podcasts again, uh, it'll make me laugh as well. It was just funny while I was editing it up. Uh, just, yeah, the fact that he tried to explain that knot and it was just a good laugh. So one of my favorite parts of the episode. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, like Josh said, if you know what knot it was based on his description, uh, send it through to his Instagram page, Josh Cop underscore. I'm pretty sure that's what he said uh, on Instagram. Go follow him as well if you want to see cool content. Plenty of golden perch, Murray Cod, stacks of freshwater fishing. He knows his stuff, so go follow him on Instagram. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're on the road, uh, you're heading to a new lake, you're heading to Windermere, you're going for a weekend session. I hope it was a bit of inspiration to pump you up, but also had plenty of content to help you hook into some golden perch this weekend or whenever you are listening to this 
or to help you hook into fish this spring. I do hope you enjoyed it. Good luck with your session and you'll be hearing from us in another episode of the podcast in the next couple of weeks. My name's Rhys Creed. You've been listening to the Social Fishing Podcast and I'll be talking to you very soon.